0: Ah, yes, friends, on a Monday, it's OGP, the one giant podcast. And you know who's doing the thing over here. It's going to be me, Adam Armbrecht, host over there. Andy Makowitz, also host. And he is healthy. He is wealthy. He is wise. And, of course, very well-spaced.
1: You know, uh, Adam just got back from the dentist for my, my two-year-old son. I got to tell you, the modern advancements in, in, in the dental office, they mm. now have, like, the flat-screen TVs on the ceiling. Oh yeah. So that when when everyone lays back, they can watch Netflix, Paw Patrol, whatever whatever you want. So you know, my son got stickers, he got flavored toothpaste, he was watching Paw Patrol on the TV. Like he was he didn't want to leave the dentist office. Can you imagine what it was like for us? 25 30 years ago when we were trying
0: to do that it's insane i got got a little plat they gave me like a little plastic one of those frog things you know, you touch the back of it and it flips over a little bit i was it was a very exciting time in my youth not to mention nobody's watching netflix anymore andy people are are going off that sinking ship a lot of a lot of tech talk that we could do here but let's stay focused on the new york football giants Uh, as we know the draft is just days away now we're going to be doing live coverage on draft night hopefully get being elated by the picks that the new york football giants make um but There has been movement, as we expect, right? Ahead of the draft, we start to look at, especially Andy, because he's our Vegas guy on the podcast. We start to look at what the numbers are saying, what Vegas is telling us, and then we're going to dive in on how it impacts the New York football giants. Also going to clarify some things around the Kadarius-Tony wild rumors that came out over the weekend. Did a great uh, live session as well. Really appreciate everyone coming in for that. But let's talk about the latest draft buzz at the top and ultimately where Vegas stands right now and what we can learn from that.
1: Yeah. So I, it's been a whisper that's been going on for a while, Adam, and, and this might even be going on weeks where people start saying the Jacksonville Jaguars could do something crazy with the first overall pick. And and they're setting their sights on someone like Trayvon Walker. And you're like, okay, this is the usual draft fodder. A couple of weeks out, create these different storylines and buzz on certain players in that hopes does. of making your pick a little bit more valuable. and And so like, You know, Vegas actually did move the line significantly at that moment to say, "Well, you know, whether smoke or fire, we can't have liability. We'll move Trayvon Walker into the top five most likely to be drafted overall, number one." Well, over the weekend, you know, the Jaguars talked about how they had four guys that they really had ring fence, and now everyone is saying that there is serious consideration, and they believe Trayvon Walker is going to be the number one pick for the Jaguars if they don't move out of that spot. He is the Odds-on betting favorite now to go first overall when it seemed almost, you know, assuredly that Aiden Hutchinson was going to be the first guy off the board. Now, Vegas is telling you, don't sleep on Trayvon Walker. That's the most likely outcome as we sit here today on Monday.
0: Yeah, it's interesting, man, because, you know, the difference, I think, in this year's draft is there's no quarterbacks at the top, right, that are automatically, we know that that position overrides everything, even if the evaluation says, well, he's the 12th best player in the draft, that's fine, he's going to go number one, right, or there's multiple picks like that. The funny thing is, when you're talking about Hutchinson, you're talking about Walker, you're talking about Thibodeau, they're all pass rushers, right, so the fact that some of these guys have rotated a little bit, and that Trayvon Walker has moved up the board, I, I'll look at it and just say quickly before we get to the Giants and what Vegas is saying. And then there's an impact here um, with Trayvon Walker and obviously all these players at the top um, is that, you know, Hutchinson had a combine, right? Like that's what it was. He was there, he was at the combine. Um, Thibodeau, right, wrong, indifferent, the personality question, right? Some of the interview and whether or not he's a high motor guy 100% of the time. Trayvon Walker is like, he's the mystery. He's the guy that put the least on tape whose stat lines don't tell you the most, although, and this will probably be a red flag if you were a Giants fan, one of the things about him is they go, a lot of pressures, not a lot of sacks, but a lot of pressures. And we know getting pressure on the quarterback can be just as important as a sack. If you're a Giants fan, you disagree with that strongly because we have a lot of guys that do that. So it's just funny. Like, I I think that that's what's the, the attractiveness is the untapped upside of Trayvon Walker and projecting what a player with his athleticism can do. That's what's moved the needle. When we when we push down the line here, though, then to number five and number seven for the New York Football Giants, Vegas is now telling us, as you've been breaking down, odds at five. We have the Aquan O'Neal split, basically even money for them to go, followed by Sauce Gardner and followed by Cross. You just because you've been watching it, has that rotated significantly as we've approached the draft now?
1: Well, it has. I mean, just Camon uh, Thibodeau has moved down on people's yeah. boards. It seems like. It's not just the Giants, but you hear the the buzz about personality issues, taking plays off, whatever it may be. There's a, apparently there's a lot of people that feel that way because Thibodeau's stock seems to be dropping just a little bit. He was potentially going to be the number one overall pick, you know at at the at the end of the college football season. Him and Aiden Hutchinson one and two, and now you know he's not even assured to go in the top five anymore. Um, what I think Aquano and Neal. It's been tough because for the Giants picking at five there are so many other variables that could happen in front of them that are going to dictate which of these you know players the Giants take. It's sure. not that the Giants necessarily look at Aquanu and Neal and say, I like both of them equally. It's we're not sure if you know, Evan Neal is going to even be there at five or if Aquano is going to get taken. They're basically saying, we don't know which one of those two is going to be there, but if one of them is, that's the most likely outcome for the Giants.
0: Right, likewise, too, is Sauce Gardner, right? A lot of speculation he could go higher, he could go forward to the Jets, so I think that's why you see him a little bit further down, and why then even when you look at pick seven here, we'll, we'll analyze all this together collectively at five and seven. When you look at Vegas at seven, it's Gardner, Stingley, Cross, Neil, to your point, dropping Thibodeau, and then also Jermaine Johnson, who's obviously been a significant riser leading up to the draft. To me, then, if I'm looking at this, it's – The Gardner Gardner one being the highest one is, yes, if he's there, that's 100% going to be the pick. The question is, will he be there, right? And then that's why Stingley becomes the second highest Vegas odds because if Gardner isn't there and, and the consensus is the Giants do want to improve their secondary, well, Stingley, while again, this is a guy that it feels like you know Gardner benefited from recency bias. He's been putting good tape on uh, on film. He has a lot of the length, the size, etc. But Stingley is obviously a solid corner. Do you think that, that that's realistic about where this lays out? And because I when I see Neal in the middle of that pack, that to me is a little bit surprising because I know obviously Iquano at five or would it be at seven? But the the offensive line piece is still tricky for me. Well, so
1: you're reading it very similar to how I have it read. You know what I find.
0: What I find nine fast, times out of ten just to be clear when we talk about lines and Vegas odds during the season nine times out of ten I give my take and then he goes well what it's really trying to indicate and then he yeah. tries to re-explain it to me but I'm here I'm here no, now involved lines you're, and you're, numbers it's we've the been numbers doing it for a standpoint.
1: couple years and now you started to get into the motion it's yeah. not it's not that they say that Giants like this player the most it's based on all of these other moving factors and moving parts this is where the line is going to be set the the interesting thing about pick seven just to give you an example Adam so Sauce Gardner is the, the just behind Aquanu and Neal for pick number five, right? Mm-hmm. He's the third guy. They're basically like, there's a very good chance they could take him, but you know, we think that they're leaning a little bit towards offensive tackle. Stingley isn't even on the top five list there at number right. five. He's actually 20 to one odds that he gets selected with the fifth pick. But then you go to pick number seven, and if the Giants have already addressed that offensive tackle, which we think one of them will be there, all of a sudden, Stingley goes to three and a half to one on your money at pick number seven. So, like, think about how drastic the change is on the view of Stingley from five to seven because they're assuming that the Giants end up getting their guy and that Sauce Gardner could be gone by seven.
0: Well, it's one of those things, right? Let's think. It's one of those things again. The perception of this player between five and seven, you know, three pick range, and and what and what the NFL, what pundits will say. Oh, you you gotta love him at seven. But boy, at five, you'd be you'd be kind of disappointed if you had to settle for Stingley, right? Like, and and I know th- these things matter, and they're all of these these variables that go into it. But I always find that hilarious. Same thing with Thibodeau. Same thing with any of these guys. If you like the player, you like the player. Um, and it'd be it'd be really interesting to see, especially inside the offensive line, especially inside the cornerbacks, and then and the edge rushers. Like every single team after the top ten, let's just cap it there, is going to explain why they were ecstatic that that player fell to them why they always had player x higher on their board than some of the other teams so everyone's going to get exactly what they wanted in the top 10 in spite of the fact that we'll all clearly have a sense of who won or lost
1: so the most interesting thing that i see in terms of how the board is shaping up um is that at pick so keep in mind this is pick number 5 it is not the new york giants selecting pick number Correct. 5 right right not
0: predicting big it's blue it's just who
1: goes 5th and right now obviously the Giants have the pick and unless they're blown away they're they're not going to move out. Sure. But I will say just for anyone that likes a little bit of a long shot, pick number 5, Malik Willis is 20 to 1 to be picked yeah. at pick number 5. And to me that's really really good value because the way that I'm seeing this is let's just say Trayvon Walker goes number 1 at him. And then Aiden Hutchinson goes, and then maybe you throw in a Sauce Gardner at 3. All of a sudden you're sitting there and there's a bunch of offensive you know offensive tackles that haven't gone yet. What if there's a team that wants to jump in front of the Carolina Panthers who have the sixth pick in the draft and they say we have to get in front of Carolina if we want the quarterback of our choice, they would likely trade out with the Giants, move to number five and select Willis. So to me, if you're thinking, well, how can we get crafty with the fifth pick and you're a betting man like I am? I think Malik Willis probably has, to me, the second or third most likely outcome you know, can, if, if the Giants don't get an offensive tackle or they say there's enough tackles on the board, we can trade out of five and still get one of our guys at seven.
0: Yeah. And so let's, let's talk about the top of the draft the impact on the Giants. And it's funny, there's even some people that have said, you know, and this is the outside the box predictions of what could happen at the top. They go, maybe Detroit just takes Malik Willis at the second overall pick. Right. And because they, in the big picture, you know, Jared Goff is not the end all be all future for them. So If they like them, would they just take them? And at that point, probably blows up the plans of a lot of other teams around the draft is saying, well, we'll see where the value falls. But that could also, by the way, create a bit of an urgency around the other quarterbacks like a Kenny Pickett, right? We've even heard like whispers about where Desmond Ritter is going to go. I'm not saying top 10. I'm saying that just that any team that was there at 20, like the Pittsburgh Steelers goes, okay, well, well what is our what what is our calculation here, right? Are we going to New England Patriots this thing and just sit here and, and see if the guy falls into our lap or do we feel compelled to go up and move and do it? So that obviously is one factor that could be disruptive at the top of the draft. We mentioned though at the top about Trayvon Walker all of a sudden skyrocketing. Again, I am a kingmaker because every time that I mention a player, if you go back, you can go back and check the tape. We got the receipts on it. I mentioned Trayvon Walker saying I liked him over Thibodeau going back, you know, pre combine. And then everything built up after that. And Trayvon Walker went from being a guy that maybe goes in the 20s to the teens and then all the way up the board until he ultimately finds himself at the top of the draft. And listen, it doesn't matter whether or not the name is spelled correctly or right on the scroll bar below. I know who. that's how much Adam
1: loves him so much. You love him so much.
0: That's the point. Um, But you have a take on what it means for Trayvon Walker to go early in this draft and the impact that it has on the Giants, something that I think we disagree on.
1: Well, so you I know that you um, you know, had messaged earlier in the offseason saying could Trayvon Walker have a reunion with some of his Georgia Bulldogs? And uh we're getting some yep. retweets from from uh, former uh Georgia Bulldogs and now New York Giants saying we would love Trayvon to be part of this team. Um, what so my take on this is is interesting because for me, Trayvon Walker hasn't really been in the conversation at five. I'm just very steadfast on my belief that we need an offensive tackle. And whether that's a quantum or Neal, we can go into it in, in, in a little bit. Sure. But Tra- Trayvon Walker moving up the board, you know, it to me, it's almost a foregone conclusion that Aiden Hutchinson is going to go in the top five. Okay. So anytime we can move other players that may or may not have been top five guys into that top five, it means there are other players that I tend to like that the giants are going to have the opportunity to draft. And the second piece of it is, if you get a guy like Trayvon Walker at one and all of a sudden Malik Willis goes at two and then sauce Gardner goes at three, you're really pushing the board back more and more like Stingley could go at four. If you really wanted to all of a sudden, then you're sitting here saying, wow, the giants could have in Hutchinson at five and still get their offensive tackle at seven. And so to me, pushing players up the board that aren't named Neil Aquanu Hutchinson, or even Kayvon Thibodeau to me is a positive in terms of what the giants may have available to them at five and seven, but also the ability for the Giants to potentially trade out of five and still get what they would want at seven.
0: Yeah, the the trade piece to me makes sense. Like I I get the trade out piece, right? Because if if the board looks significantly different at the top, then all of a sudden the available players inspire other teams to want to come to get them. That part, I get it. The part about Trayvon Walker moving up, though, and saying, well, it just pushes people back, it's not really true. Now, whether or not we don't care about Hamilton to the Giants at five, right, he's no longer in the top five consideration. Thibodeau is no longer in the top five consideration. So two guys have already come out of that area, and whether or not you wanted either one of them, they're not guys that are going to be in consideration now for those top four teams ahead of us. So Trayvon Walker took the place of Thibodeau. It's a like for like, right? Hamilton is now out of that consideration for another team to take him and occupy a spot that allows more players that fit our needs for the Giants to fall to us. So the, the ratio on its face right there, it's still not favoring the giants while understanding there's good value there. The other thing though, is so you mentioned, and this is just good to touch on. So you're saying, like you said, five is offensive lineman. That's what the giants need to do. It's five offensive linemen. But then you just said, if Hutchinson, however, all of a sudden falls down the board, we could be talking about taking Hutchinson at five and then going for offensive lineman at seven. Hutchinson is a good enough player to you. Like the value is there. Obviously it was number one on the board. When things started, that then you would pivot off of taking your offensive lineman at five. Understanding, I get it, because now with the way that board goes, there's more. There's going to be all three offensive linemen are there at seven, as opposed to just two of them, or at least two, instead of just being stuck with "quote unquote" one. But you're still, you're still running the risk that a team at six like Carolina, whether or not we think they're going quarterback, they could take Iquanu on you, and then you're left saying, well, it's Neal or Cross at that point.
1: Yeah, so that's the tough part. W- what you're asking me is if the combination of five and seven could be Aiden Hutchinson and whatever offensive tackles left over between right. Iquanu, Neal, and Cross, or it's take your pick of offensive tackle and then look at someone like Jermaine Johnson or, or whomever it's going to be, the, maybe yeah, or, or Stingley, you know Sauce Gardner. If it ends up happening to, to sure. fall that way, to me, I don't. I see less disparity between Iquano and Neal in terms of capability as as an offensive tackle for the Giants, sure. and I see a bigger gap between someone like Aiden Hutchinson and Johnson or other edge rushers that that are going to come later in the draft. Mm-hmm. That I would change my plan, and the only reason I'm saying that is because you can still get that offensive tackle at seven if someone like Aiden Hutchinson's moving back down the board and all these other guys are, are coming up into the picture to, to be able to fill those seats from one to four. And Adam, I will say that the strange thing is while Kayvon Thibodeau is still falling, the most likely pick for the number four at, you know, at the New York Jets is Kayvon Thibodeau right now. So like he okay. could theoretically go there, which would be fascinating because it just means the Giants will have more picks of, of players that, We're presumably going to go in the top three. Now we're available at five and seven.
0: Yeah, well, and that's that's what's so funny about the Vegas odds and predicting this stuff. Like Thibodeau was never someone getting mentioned to go here, there, wherever. Now all of a sudden it changes because Trayvon Walker is going higher. So again, the names are shifting around here. But if you're the New York Jets and you say, well, you know, Trayvon Walker wasn't going to be a guy that we believed in at four. And we wanted Sauce Gardner but that's kind of because we thought Hutchinson or Thibodeau was going to be gone before we got there. Now, all of a sudden our, our hierarchy changes, which shifts things to me, all of this conversation at the top, the best case scenario for the New York football giants is that sauce Gardner is still going to be a possibility there, whether at five or at seven, like I think keeping the cornerback options there at the top of the draft is important. If you're not discussing trade down scenarios, because While we're going to get into our philosophy around what we think should happen at the top of the draft or overall needs. We've we've talked a lot about how does Wink Martindale impact where you look at safeties and cornerbacks and linebackers, edge rushers, everything throughout this draft. But there does seem to be a clear top crop when it comes to cornerback. And then a lot of really talented players and sauce guard. I mean, you read reports. They're saying this kid comes in and is one of the top corners like week one, game one. He is considered one of the top corners in the league. That's something that the giants have not sniffed in a long time. And at any position, I think that that has to be pretty tantalizing.
1: Well, so you, you mentioned sauce Gardner. I think, you know, you, you've seen, he gave up like 112 yards in the entire season, right? Like it's tremendous. He hasn't given up a touchdown in his college. I look career. Past like, those kind
0: of things, right? Like, I, listen, he'll probably give up more than 112 yards,
1: right? They're all anecdotal, but it just goes to show like, that's the type of talent and how dominant he was at his position. Of course, I did have a question for you. Cause obviously we, everyone likes sauce Gardner. you you do feel like there's going to be a drop-off at some point at the cornerback position. Do you still, would you be upset if sauce Gardner's off the board and the giants are targeting Stingley with the seventh pick?
0: Yeah, this is a funny one, man. Cause you go back and you read up bottom. And again, that's why I said at the top, you know, recency bias, every, all the buzz is, it's not dissimilar to a Trayvon Walker versus a Hutchinson, right? Like the buzz is there. So this name is surging. I think, Again, if you're if you're inside Joe Shane's brain and he says, well, on our entire board, we have Sauce Gardner as being the fourth best player overall, regardless of positional need. And Stingley is the eighth best. Okay, you know, if Gardner's gone at five and you go offensive line and Stingley's still there at seven and then you look at your needs chart and you say cornerback is right there at the top of our needs board, then I'm fine with it. If you believe in the player, you believe in the player, as everybody knows. I'm a length man. I like, I like, I like, I like that the measurables of Gardner are things that I think translate really well for the NFL. Um, but it's to say nothing of Stingley's talent and the fact that I think he comes. Everyone agrees he comes in. He's going to also be a, a stud corner. It's just a matter of inside of Wink Martindale's system, is that the best? And maybe this is this is being short-sighted, right? The best short-term ability to plug and play and have an impact. I think the length and size of Gardner. Is what tantalizes you in that regard, but it doesn't mean five years from now we're not looking at both of them and saying, eh, Yeah, could have taken either one anywhere in the top 10 and been happy.
1: Yeah, St- well, Stingley, uh, you know, if he would have come out 18 24 months ago, he was already talked about as a top five pick at that That's point. That's what I mean. And and you know, his his film and injuries and a little, little bit of everything has been the piece, yep. Yeah, it's kind of not poisoned the well, but it's kind of pushed him back and, and let people like Sauce Gardner who. I, I don't know if he was even in the conversation as a first-round pick going into the into the season until he showed up on film. Yeah. Um, but but it's, it, it's interesting because the thing that we hear all over the weekend is that Stingley had, could go top three, could shock the world and yeah. go top three. And it's funny how, like, with four or five days to go before the draft, no one had heard Derek Stingley Jr.'s name talked about almost at all. And now all of a sudden, like, he's going top three. Either his yeah. PR team and his agent is really trying to push him up the board or there's teams that at the top that are trying to get people interested in him and potentially trade back. But as Adam Schefter said, there's far more teams trying to trade back in the first round than there yeah. are teams trying to move up right now. And again, that could change with, with how the winds blowing over over the next couple of days. Like, do the Saints want to move up and get their quarterback? Do the Steelers feel like they're good with Mitch Trubisky or do they want to get someone? Does you know, someone need to leapfrog Carolina? There's still so many people that could move up. For a quarterback, like we talk about this being a a lull in in like how good the quarterbacks are. Mark my words, there will be at least one, if not two trade-ups in the first round for people wanting to get their quarterback
0: of the future. It always seems to be the case, right? It doesn't matter what the draft class looks like. It always ends up being the case that you feel like you need the quarterback. You got to go get the quarterback. But as it stands in this moment, this is where I think at least for right now on a Monday, you have to say the Giants are going to be picking at five and seven because the traction for people to come up is just not there, right? The board is there. People would rather be leaving than coming. And maybe people are looking to come up for offensive linemen, something that the giants wouldn't necessarily be in the market to trade out of, right? Like that's the other part of it. If there's a high value at one of these positions and maybe it is an edge rusher, it maybe it is a cornerback. The thing of it is when you're the New York football giants and you're trying to rebuild your roster, it turns out all of these players and prospects are really good fits for needs that you have. So it, it's, Outside of someone coming for the quarterback and getting a big haul, it's hard to see the Giants right now trading out. And it's funny, too, because um, we talk about, like, lowells right now, one of the other things. And I said, if you did the live, came on for the live uh, over the weekend, we know. Pat Leonard, you can take whatever he may say with a grain of salt, rumor, and speculation. All of a sudden, it got fired off that, potentially, Kadarius Toney could be someone that the New York football Giants are looking to shop ahead of the draft. Um, initially it, this was all tractioned around the idea that he didn't show up for the voluntary workouts, the voluntary mini camps. And you start to speculate on it. I said, Hey, it can be that the, that Joe Shane and Dable set a very clear expectation for the players or just listen, like we get it. It's voluntary, but it's a new regime. We want you there. And when you don't show up and if you said you were going to be there, that's a really big red flag, not enough for you to say, all right, now we're going to shop them. There's also a chance that when they first came in, Kadarius Tony went to them and said, you know what? I don't want to be here. And Joe Shane said, fine, like, let's, let's say the right things out front. We'll do the work in the background and eventually we'll make something happen here. The last piece to consider though, is that when Joe Shane and Dable came in and we know the Giants track record, Andy has talked about it a ton in terms of injuries. Well, Kadarius, Tony has an injury concern. There is an injury profile there that says one of our best weapons on the offensive side of the ball could be. A player that's going to suffer, like Sterling Shepard, like Kenny Galladay, like everybody that puts on a New York football Giants uniform, could suffer some injury. So before I get into the the realistic possibility, not of him being traded, I think that more than likely he's going to be here, but there's reasons for that, but expectations on a return. Do all of those elements sound, re- do they create a reasonable scenario where the Giants are saying, hey, it's possible that we may move on from this player because again, drafted last year, not our player, we didn't bring him in.
1: Well, it's, it, it all makes sense. And I think that the hardest, part. I mean, it's, it (laughs) it does make sense, but, but it's like, as a fan, you're like, I saw his talent against the Cowboys. I saw him take over a game and it was incredible. But the problem is Adam, he wasn't on the field all that much. There's been a bunch Mm -hmm. of problems like getting on the field, even in preseason, like, does he have, does he have COVID? Is he out with like an injury? Like what's happening to him? And then,
0: you not know. playing through some minor injuries that other players on the NFL typically do that kind of stuff. And I'm not, again, I'm not bashing Kadarius Tony. I'm just, these are the facts of what we know.
1: Right. And, and you know, had, had a, had an interesting back and forth with some of the different media members in, in different sessions, like he, somebody he's, in
0: the helmet during a game.
1: Uh, I mean, he's had some challenges and yeah. the, the thing that the, Gi- like giant fans, I know everyone's saying it is, yeah, I mean, they inherited him. He's really talented, but again, you know, we talk about these voluntary workouts. It's not just that he doesn't show up for these. It's that you'd think that someone with a new regime would would want to come in and say, let me get the playbook as early as possible. Let me show out. Let me be there. You you heard Kenny Galladay, who's an established receiver in this league, has had, I don't know, 10 touchdowns in a season before. Like, you know, how many does Kadarius Tony have right now? You, you hear him coming in and saying, I want to be here. Everyone should be here. This is a new regime. He's the $20 million man. And he's the first one in the building that to me, like I'm not over hyping the voluntary workout thing, but the right. fact that, you know, Kenny Galladay is, is almost a 30 year old guy making a bunch of money. Like he doesn't need to be there if he doesn't want to. And he's saying how important it is. It's just the indifference to yeah. like what's going on that I think is frustrating to a lot of people. You, you know, Brian Dable had some really good conversation with Carl Banks and he talked about, like, what do you want to see in people? And he's like, I want dependability. I want reliability. I want people that work hard. I want you to say what it is that you're going to do and then go do it, right? And and I know everyone's kind of read the tea leaves and been like, that's literally the opposite of what's been happening with Kadarius Tony. He's nowhere to be found. You don't know what you're going to get from him from time to time, whether he cares about other things outside of football more than football itself. There's just a lot of this, like, kind of noise that's going around where it's like, if, it's, if it was just about the voluntary workout, it wouldn't be this big of a deal, Adam, because players miss it all the time. It's just the fact that all these other checkpoints that have happened, plus the fact that you talked about it was a different regime that drafted him, I don't want to see him go for uh, uh, you know an undervalued pick, but I understand at least the chatter that's surrounding it.
0: Yeah, for, no, 100%. And listen, like now, I, I'll say, I think he's an electric talent. We all know that. We saw the sample size last year. I'm also, and I've said this about every single player on the roster, if Joe Shane decides he wants to move on from somebody or move them, I don't care because this is what I said coming in new regime, new GM, no allegiance to the previous draft classes, no allegiance to the money that's been spent. You need to restructure this thing. So while he's talented, I, I, this is a part of the rebuilding process. So you do whatever you have to do. The other thing though, is just to kind of put this expectation here before we close out on a question that I have for you at the top of the draft is fans. Then were saying, yeah, get rid of them. Number 1 pick this year. Second, 22s two and a 3 and a 9 and a 13 and a 45 and your best player. Like, you know, setting this bar of, yeah, you can move them if we get a King's ransom. I actually looked at it from and there's there's two sides to this, where the the depth of the position is in the draft class, and I mentioned this on the live. Joe Shane said, "The way that you evaluate the draft class is not only predicated on on where the position is, the player is, the value is if you like them, you love them. It's also about looking at the market and seeing who's getting paid what at certain positions and understanding" This could cost us X down the road. So there's the equation of Kadarius Tony in another two, three years is going to cost us, what, $25 million a year with the way the wide receiver market is going, maybe more. If that's not something that GMs who look two and three years down the line, if that's not something you want to be invested in, it's OK. It doesn't have to be now, but to consider the prospect of moving on from him. But reasonable expectations and a really good target for them is obviously the Kansas City Chiefs. Kadarius Tony is a one for one replacement of Tyreek Hill. Kansas City is a team that feels like it's a little bit in flux and coming down from the absolute pinnacle of the AFC. If you did that and you packaged in a James Bradbury, a guy that it's hard to move off of, may have to eat some money, I think you would say 50 and 94. Or sorry, I'm gonna actually I'm gonna refrain that. 50 and 103 with James Bradbury sending as much of the money as possible for, for Kansas city to pick up. I think that if you just want to have a framework, that's what you should be living in. If you, if you think you want to move on comfortable with it, are you comfortable with it for those assets? Cause it's not going to be the 30th overall pick from Kansas city. They'll sit there. They'll draft a wide receiver that they have one more year of control on and, and on down the line. Right? So I think when you frame it like that, most giants fans would probably push back and say, no, I, you can't give them up for a 50. I personally would take an offer like that, knowing what you can accomplish in the draft.
1: Well, the reason why you take that also is, is think about the James Bradbury piece of it. Like James uh, Bradbury it, will, will not be on this roster, right? So uh, getting any assets for him is going to be huge for the giants. We're, we're talking about wh- what are they going to get a fifth round pick for him at this point? We just don't know what the giants can get at one Oh three. You're talking, you're talking about, you know, basically a third round talent, you know, somewhere in the third to fourth round round range, in, right. you know, in, in the type of player you could get. So, if you could get a second round pick and a third round pick and put those two players together, you free up the cap space. You you move on from a mistake of the old regime if you think that Kadarius Tony's not the guy that you want. And it makes sense to, that you're talking about the Chiefs because they do have a needed cornerback. And the Chiefs have shown uh, an indifference to not really caring about personal character concerns and issues, whether it's with Tyree kill, whether it's with Kareem hunt, whether it's with draft picks that they take. So they're, they're kind of like, you know what? It's important to just get really good players on the field and we'll figure it out in terms of our culture later.
0: And by the way, a move like that might require the Giants to send back 147 or even 112, right? Because, like you say, 103 is still a high pick when we're thinking about James Bradbury and the money commitment. I didn't want to overstate that, but it's worth it to follow up. There's a lot of mechanics here. Uh, Tomorrow or before the draft, I'll I'll clarify where I stand on Saquon Barkley. We'll both clarify where we stand on James Bradbury, et cetera, because these are these little moves in behind it. But at the end of the day, Andy, I just wanted to ask you started here at the top, the movement, Vegas, all these odds. Right now, as it stands, who is your offensive lineman that you want drafted by the New York football giants? You come up at five. Let's not worry about who's there or not and what else you could possibly do. You're going to make another pick at seven or trade out. But you come up at five, the table is yours. Who's your pick right now?
1: My pick right now is still Evan Neal. It is. He's six seven. He's 351. He is an enormous man. And Adam, he's done nothing but show his skill at Alabama, but also his versatility. He has played guard. He has played left tackle. He has played right tackle. He has the ability to really help out your offensive line in so many different ways. If Andrew Thomas were to get hurt, you could slide Evan Evan Neal over and he can play left tackle. If you needed him to play guard, you could have him play guard. To me, his size and the fact that he was a potential top three pick going into the season and did nothing to dissuade me from the fact that he still is a top three pick. So for me, it's still Evan Neal, but something tells me that you're in a different boat.
0: Yeah. Um, in this moment right now, it's crossed for me. And wow. the reason, the reason being is that it's one of these things that you talked about with Wink Martindale on the defensive side of the ball. Now cross, by the way, He's regarded as being, he's the best pass protector. Came out of a college where they, they ran so much of it, that's all that he could do. There's a bit of a mystery around his run blocking, though they say he's going to be able to do that. He doesn't have a big sample size on it. He's only 310 pounds, so you're going to want to put on a little bit of weight. But in the same way that you talked about the defensive side, I'll talk about the Buffalo Bills and their offensive line. A big part of what they do offensively when you have a Josh Allen type. We say that generously, literally. Yeah. Well, when you, yes, when you literally have him in Buffalo, when you figuratively have Josh Allen in New York, right? Like to whatever degree we think Daniel Jones, a mobile quarterback, you want to move him on the edges. You want to get out in space. Cross has the highest athletic upside of these three offensive linemen. And he showcased that at college where you can envision with that type of weight, being able to pull himself and get out in front get into space, get to the second level in front of the run game and really make an impact, especially when you talk about RPOs and trying to move Daniel Jones, move the pocket and get him out there on the edges in space. So listen, it's an ever-evolving one, but I tried to apply what I think you've done a great job of, the logic of who is running the offense, who is running the defense and what players fit that system the best. I don't know if there's enough of a marginal discrepancy between these three players at the top of the draft that doesn't just come down to Who do we think fits best what we want to accomplish? And I'm starting to feel really confident that Charles Cross actually is that guy in spite of how incredibly talented and the mountain of a man that Neil is. I almost get these, you know, across the stadium, big-bodied left tackle that, ooh, all of a sudden is having a hard time staying on the field, right? So that's where I stand right now. It'll certainly make for an interesting draft night as we continue to work our way through. Closing thoughts, please. I
1: I was going to say, I actually thought you were going to say Equanu. Full stop. So you saying cross is actually surprising to me. I, I didn't even I, that wasn't even in my mind. I was like, oh, tell me why you like Aquanu. And you you came up with Cross. What I think is fascinating, and and I'll, I'll end this on, uh, on your thought on Cross is if you do like Cross and you like him enough where you feel like he is at the same level as Aquanu and Neil, then it means that you have so many more options of what you want to do at the fifth pick. You yep. talked about Trayvon Walker moving up. You could go after Aiden Hutchinson or Kayvon Thibodeau or go get Sauce Gardner at five. If you really put cross in that section, I think that gives the Giants a better situation. For me, I have Cross a step below, which is why I feel like at five you have to go up and get that offensive tackle. Mm -hmm. But in your scenario, Adam, I mean, if that's how the Giants feel, it really does open up what they do with the fifth pick a whole lot more.
0: We will come in Tuesday and Wednesday flesh out what that could look like at the top what's the risk reward of waiting quote unquote for cross at seven and maybe having Carolina sneak the last offensive lineman off the board ahead of you potentially we'll walk through some of these scenarios we'll take a look at the Mel Kuiper and Todd McShay mock drafts what they have the Giants doing at the top of the second how it goes against Andy Makowitz philosophy inside of the Wink Martindale defensive scheme but there's a lot to cover here we'll keep breaking it down you follow us over on YouTube always appreciate the support and the comments you get the podcast where you those needs fulfilled. And as Andy Makowitz more than ever, as we lead up to the draft here, would want, need, and nay, demand you find people know. As always, let's go big blue. <laughs>